0: We're continuing with our series on 1 Peter this evening. Tonight, we're going to read from 1 Peter 1, verse 13, to 1 Peter 2, verse 3. So 1 Peter from 1, 13 to 2, 3. Let's read. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children... Do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, Be holy, because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever." And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. This is God's word for us this evening. mezzanine is a book it's about 150 pages long and it's all about a young man's lunch hour at work it follows him what he does and all the things that he thinks about over the course of this one particular lunch hour and as part of that he has this few minutes that he thinks about ties ties and this young man's father really really loved ties And he had this kind of eccentric habit of keeping them over the doorknobs in their house. So you'd go upstairs and all the bedrooms and the bathroom and all the closets doorknobs had tie upon tie upon tie hung on them. And when this young man was a small child, he loved to open the doors and hear the swish of the ties and kind of feel them as they would float by. And as he got older and he got old enough, or as he put it, tall enough... He goes to his father and he asks to borrow ties and his father takes him on a tour through the upstairs of the house saying, look at this one, this one is beautiful, but the pattern on this one is is really quite amazing. And this one over here, now this one would fit that shirt just wonderfully. When this young man has his first job interview after college, he goes to his father and he has to borrow a tie. And his father picks out this perfect one with intersecting oval and rectangular patterns. And it's just an amazing tie. And as this young man gets the job and starts to work there, he starts to amass his own collection of ties, and when he goes home for family dinners, he always picks out a special one, and his father always goes, oh, I I like that tie. Is that one you've borrowed from me, or is that one you picked out for yourself? And over time, he and his father start to pass ties back and forth and loan each other ties, and every time they get together, they comment on this. And then one day, one Thanksgiving dinner, this boy is now a young man, is, home for a couple nights and at one point he goes upstairs and as he's about to open a closet door, he sees one of his ties over the doorknob and he realizes, he's loaned this tie to his father a little bit ago, and he realizes that it fits right in. He looks at it and he feels like he's finally grown up because a tie that he picked out fits right in with his father's ties. Our first point tonight is father. Father. God is our Father, and God calls and equips and reshapes us so that we become like Him. All of us in different ways start out with some kind of, some kind of attraction toward God's ways maybe, but we don't understand all of what He's about or all of what our lives should be about. But as we grow in the faith, we have more and more ownership of who God has called us to be. We understand his ways more and more. And so over time, or at least this is how it's supposed to go in the Christian walk, over time we become more and more like our Father. The original audience of 1 Peter would have understood that trajectory very clearly because they all started out. Every single one of them started out very clearly as unbelievers. They weren't Christians. That wasn't really an option for them in that time because, well, because Christianity hadn't really started yet when they were born. So all of these people had inherited a certain way of life from their ancestors. And whether, whether you were Jewish or Roman background, that way of life... The way that your people lived, the way that your father and grandfather and so on and so forth had lived, that was absolutely foundational to your identity. But all of those old identities, all the ways of life that these people's ancestors had handed down were incomplete. There was a lot of junk in them. There was a lot of messiness and mess in them. They were mired in sin. And so 1 Peter tells us that in Christ, God delivers his people from those old ways. But that deliverance came at a great price. Jesus came and gave his own life so that we could be set free, ransomed, redeemed. Verse 18 in chapter 1 uses a word redeemed, and that word has a certain history, a certain sense to it. There was this practice at that time, this didn't always happen, but it happened sometimes, that if a slave somehow got enough money to be free or someone else came and wanted to set them free, that they would go to a temple. They would pick some god's temple and they would go and they would give the money to buy the slave to the temple, and then the temple would turn around and pay the owner of the slave, minus a small commission, of course, and then the slave would be set free. And I think that was a way of kind of providing accountability and, and direction and keeping it a smooth transaction. But then the way people talked about it was that the slave who had been set free had been bought by the God and belonged to that particular deity. Now, in terms of their lifestyle decisions, how they lived, they were free. But the way that was spoken of is that that God had ransomed them. And Peter is kind of playing around with that idea here. But instead of taking people from the status of slavery to free... Or slavery to a human being to slavery to this God who'd ransom them, Peter wants these believers to understand that they've been moved from slavery to sin to being children of the God who has ransomed them. It's not just that God took our resources and paid a price so that we could be technically free, it's that God Himself, in Jesus Christ, paid a price out of His own treasury to adopt us as his children. Peter wants to play around with that background idea of redemption, but then also transform it so that we as God's people hear that we are his chosen, beloved, paid for, redeemed children. We belong to God like children belong to their father. And Peter, when he calls for us to live holy lives, he roots that call to holiness in that reality that God has redeemed us to be his children. Because the Lord God has set us free, because he has claimed us as his children, we are to live holy lives. And another way to say that is we're to live lives that are like our Father. Becoming holy in a sense, just means becoming more like God, our Father. One of our great joys as Christians is to look at God, to look at His ways, to look at what He reveals to us of Himself, and to say, now that, that is beautiful. Now that, that looks good. Can I do it that way? Can I borrow your tie, Dad? Can I be like... You And I think one of God's great joys in us comes when he looks at us. When he looks at the people we are and he looks at the actions we take and he can say, that looks good. That is just what I would do. When who we are and what we do just fits in with God's way of being, then we're really living out the reality that he is our Father. And if God is our Father, then we're all family. And that's another place that Peter takes us this evening. If we all belong to God, then we belong to each other. And then our spiritual family, this group of people that we've gathered with tonight, all of our brothers and sisters in Christ, wherever they may be, then that is our real family even more real than our physical family. In the Old Testament, David and Jonathan's relationship is a really, really clear picture of that. And if you remember, Jonathan is the son of King Saul, the first king of Israel. And as, as the story and as Saul's life develops, it becomes very clear that Saul is, he's no longer God's guy. And God has plans for David to be the next king of Israel. And Jonathan is Saul's son, and and he has this, well, it almost wouldn't be a choice for most people, but he has this choice to make. Does he hold on to his physical family? Does he turn against David, the Lord's anointed, and hold on to Saul, the old king and his father? Or does he decide to prioritize God's will and prioritize God's spiritual family? And for us, looking back, it seems obvious, of course, you know, go with King David, he's the anointed one, whatever. But for Jonathan, in that context, that would have been a dangerous choice. And obviously, if David's going to be king, then Jonathan, the heir apparent, the prince, the son of the king, he's not going to be king. His career trajectory, instead of going up, is going to flatline, right? But in that day and age, it wasn't just a career problem, it was a survival problem. When a new king, when a new dynasty took over, one of the ways that they ensured that they would continue is they killed everybody. They killed everybody who was part of the family of the old king. And so if Jonathan chooses to to stay friends with David, if he chooses to hold on to those spiritual bonds instead of the physical bonds of King Saul's family, he's not just looking at his career flatlining. He's looking at the possibility that this will cost him his life. And yet, Jonathan chooses to make that choice. Jonathan chooses to hold on to David to pursue the spiritual family instead of the physical family. And that's what 1 Peter calls all of God's people to do. It calls its original audience to to not be so concerned about some of the things in their background, to not be so concerned about what their family would think. And back then, family was, was everything. But Peter calls these new believers to be willing to step away from that if necessary and to really own the reality that they belong to God's family now. And we have the same call today. Let's take a deep dive into verse 22 to understand that a little bit better. Verse 22 says that since we have sincere love for each other, we should love one another deeply from the heart. And there's two different words for love there in that verse. The first word is Philadelphia, basically, which should probably sound familiar to you. And what that means is brotherly love. The text works from God's love for us down to a family type of love, and it calls us to love each other with a love like we love our brothers and sisters. As we become more holy, more like God, we come to love each other more and more like family. And then that second type of love in that verse is agape. And agape love is selfless love. It's deeply sacrificial love. It's a love that costs something. And verse 22 tells us to love with that kind of love deeply. And you can translate that word there several ways. Deeply, earnestly, with enthusiasm. But you got to hear it as a powerful word. Practice this kind of love with everything you've got. With vim and vigor. Love each other like this. Do this thing. Because we are part of God's family, we love each other like brothers and sisters, and we love each other with a costly, sacrificial love. Even when it hurts. And it will hurt. Family love and sacrificial love always, always cost us something. If nothing else, as the text says, we're all like grass even if we flourish for a while eventually we all wither and fall when we love people we get hurt we make mistakes and other people make mistakes and it it hurts we hurt them they hurt us people we love get sick or they pass away and it hurts And when you open yourself up to loving the family of God in the way that this text calls us to, we are opening ourselves up to a whole crowd's worth of pain and suffering. And if we're working on our own resources, we can't do that. If we're just working on our own resources, we can't psych ourselves up enough to really love each other with that type of family self-sacrificing love that this text calls us to. It costs too much. It hurts too badly. But in God our Father, in Jesus Christ our Savior, in the Holy Spirit our Comforter, we have the resources, the grace, the love, the power that we need to love each other like we're called to love each other. And then even though we fade and we fail and we fall, even then we can keep on holding to this spiritual family. First Peter quotes Isaiah 40, and it says that bit about how everyone fades and falls. And, and then it goes on and it says, "...but the word of the Lord stands forever." And there's a place in Psalm 103 that it has some similar phrasing about everyone falling and fading. And then it says, but the love of the Lord, the steadfast love of the Lord stands forever. God's word is stable, and it stands forever. And God's love for us holds on to us for good and for always. And because we've experienced that, because we've experienced that, we can hold on to each other. But it's hard. It's hard. And I think that's why 1 Peter 2 tells us, therefore, rid yourself of, and it gives us this whole list of things that we need to get rid of, and then it tells us, like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. And the only way... The only way we can really live with each other in the way that we're called to, the only way that we can really live as children whose ways fit with the Father, is if we grow, if we grow hugely in Christ. Now, I suspect all of us know that, but we don't, we don't always have that reflected in our lives, right? Right? Economists talk about expressed preferences and revealed preferences. And I'll work out that difference there in terms of ice cream cones. So if we go to a guy called Jerry and we tell him, or we ask him rather, if your friend Peggy comes along, would you share an ice cream cone with her if we give you one? And of course Jerry will say, yeah, 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 I I would share my ice cream cone with my friend. I would do that, sure. That's an expressed preference, what we say we'll do or what we say we want. But then there's revealed preferences, And revealed preferences are revealed by our behavior, by what we actually do. So if we go to Jerry and we give him an ice cream cone, and when he sees his friend Peggy coming, and he goes and he runs away and he hides, and he's cramming the ice cream cone in and he eats it all, and there's a, and he eats it all instead of sharing it, well that's a revealed preference. He may say that he's willing to share, but his behavior reveals to us that he isn't. Now, I think probably all of us here today would express a preference, we'd express a preference for living a God-centered and other centered life. We'd say, yeah, that's the kind of life I want to live, that's what I want to do. But our behavior might reveal that what we actually want to do is live a self-centered life. We might express, we might say, Yeah, I want to do all these things that First Peter is calling me to. I wanna I wanna be God focused and I wanna love God's people and I wanna do good in the world. But then maybe we go out and our lives don't always quite reflect that. First Peter two, one tells us not to do some things, but our lives are often malicious and deceitful and hypocritical and envious and slanderous and all those things that the Bible tells us not to do that we do anyway. We need to change. And we need God's help to change. And that's why First Peter tells us to crave spiritual milk so that we can grow, so that we can become the people who we want to be, the people who God made us to be. And that word there for spiritual and spiritual milk, it has kind of a narrow sense and a broader sense. At the most narrow, it refers to God's word and and to this book that we need to dig deeply into and really really come to understand so that we can understand God. But it can also refer more broadly to all the ways that God works spiritually to help us grow. At the very least, that phrase is telling us, get into the scriptures, get into the Bible, learn about God through them. But more broadly, it's probably saying just focus your life on the Lord. Focus your life on God's grace. Go to God and do everything that you can. Desperately seek like a newborn infant. Crave spiritual nourishment so that you grow. The last verse that we read for today tells us to do all that if you've tasted that the Lord is good. And that's the question for us, isn't it? If we've tasted that the Lord is good, if we're committed to Jesus Christ as the Lord of our lives, if he has worked in us and we, we believe that he's good, how does that matter for how we live? Are we living according to the goodness of God that we have experienced? 1 Peter invites us to see God as our loving heavenly father. It invites us to see other believers as our real family and all together as God's beloved children. And then it invites us to live accordingly. Really, 1 Peter here is just telling us as believers, be who you are. Be who you are. If you belong to God, then live like it. Be someone, well, be someone who, if you've experienced God's goodness, lives accordingly. Be someone whose whole life fits, whose whole life fits with the ways of the Father. Be someone who cares deeply about the family of God. If God is your Father, be who you are. Be His child. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have come to us and that through Christ you have worked so that we belong to you. And we thank you that you aren't just our king or our ruler or our Lord or our creator, but that you you have chosen to reveal yourself to us as our Father, Help us to claim that identity, to have that be at the very center of who we are, that we are your children, that each of us is your child. And help us to live out that identity, to be who we are, to be who you have made us to be, to be your children. We pray this in your name, amen.